spying, stealing, murder, and you thought your family has issues. We are the SpyFi Guys, and this is Alias. Welcome to the SpyFi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And today we are covering the TV show Alias from 2001. I've seen most of the first season of. Zach, have you seen? What have you seen of it? I will tell you what I know about this show, which is that sexy, sexy, Jennifer Garner's very sexy. So uh-huh. I saw commercials, and in the commercials, she is always wearing like a sexy swimsuit or a sexy dress or a sexy something. You know how a few weeks ago we did The Americans, which was my dad's favorite show? Yes. Well, apparently Alias was my mom's favorite show. Interesting. All right. We will see how it holds up. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, intro our guest so we can find out what he knows about the show. We have returning guest star Jay. Hello, hello, everybody. I look forward to having conversations with your mom, Zach, about the show. <laughs> By all means, long-time listeners may remember Jay from our coverage of Mission Impossible 1 through 3. And given that apparently, well, first of all, this apparently is... Apparently because show. I'm old. <laughs> no, uh, I was going to say because, well, so I figured it was only appropriate we bring back Jay because this is directed by J.G. Abrams who did direct the last Mission Impossible movie covered, just Mission Impossible 3. And also, apparently, Tom Cruise actually called J.J. Abrams and offered the role of Mission Impossible 3 after binge-watching the first two seasons of Alias. Wow, that is quite the pedigree. Before I get into what I'm going to say, Jay, what's your experience with the show? With this show? I watched it since it was on TV the first time. I watched episode oh. one, and I watched all the way through till i want to say halfway through the second to last season i don't okay. think i made it through the last season <laughs> okay that's all pretty, pretty good. good run yeah that's pretty good having watched this before mission impossible 3 before i watched this movie it always felt like I, w- I just kept going back to that film and just seeing how things that even are just in the pilot definitely influenced mission impossible 3 and I will bring them up as we go along. Yeah, I can see that now that you mention it. It didn't occur to me while I was watching it. But there you go. It definitely gives off the same vibes in a lot of subsections. Mm-hmm. A lot of the transitions are very similar, but we'll get into all that. Yeah, sure. yeah. So with that, why don't we go ahead and get started, Zach, if you want to give us the IMDP plot synopsis? Here we go. It's a little long. Truth be told, season one, episode one, the pilot of this show. Sydney Bristow discovers that her job as an agent for SD6, a top-secret division of the CIA, is not what she thought it was. Sydney's father, Jack, also tells her the truth about his work, and she, enraged, seeks help from real CIA and is hired as their double agent under the command of Agent Vaughn. From now on, her job is really simple. She needs to complete her cases at SD6 while reporting her findings back to the CIA. That's interesting because that leaves that's like really just the last five minutes. Yeah, I was going to say, well, the last two minutes. <laughs> Make it sound like it's half the episode. Yeah, but you have to also remember, most of that was probably well written well after the fact. Uh, that's true, yeah. I mean, at this point, it's still early mainstream internet. Oh, this is true. 2001. <laughs> we did not have these resources to in, to really 
analyze it. We just strictly had word of mouth and conversations about the show. So we couldn't really dig deep into this capacity. And a lot of the times those types of summaries are written from a longer perspective of the show. That's very true, Jay. Well, as I have recently been informed, the purpose of a pilot is to sell the show. So you certainly need a jumping <laughs> off point at the end. And this had a really good jumping off point, better than some others. Wait, someone recently taught like taught oh. you that? Oh, go back and listen to our burn notice episode, Zach, or Jay. Oh, yeah. no. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I'm being slightly sarcastic with that. Are you, though? <laughs> All right, shall we begin with this episode, then? We are doing only the pilot today. The way you phrased it, what I just can I just say this? The way is that you didn't say that the title of the pilot is "Truth Be Told," so it sounded like you were saying "Truth Be Told." This pilot, one hundred percent. I had to double check. <laughs> well, truth be told, we're going to be talking about just the pilot tonight. Yep, which is yep. truth be told. <laughs> All right, we start with our title sequence, which is actually, uh, you know, not very, not a lot going on here. It's just like spelling out the letters of alias, and we. Get a close-up on Sydney being drowned. Uh, she's captured by Taiwanese people. She's got red hair. Yeah, she like, looks a lot like Lilu from The Fifth Element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starting with this sort of Inmedius Reyes. Is that how you pronounce that? Sure. I might also yeah. hear Inmedia Reyes. Inmedia Reyes. I don't know if there's an S in there. Anyways, like with, all right, person captured, bad things happening. It took me back to the beginning of Mission Possible 3. I was expecting record scratch. I suppose you're wondering how I got into this situation. <laughs> Which, considering the time period that this was made, would totally make sense. <laughs> yeah, speaking of the time period, the font, the alias font, is also the X-Files font, that, like, typewriter. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So that brought me back. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of elements, too, from the X-Files that definitely kind of carry over. Uh -huh. mm. Anyway, so they pull her out of the tub that she's being drowned in. They slap her, cuff her to a chair. We get a bunch of footsteps. We focus in on a door. And we smash cut to a door opening. Again, it's like Mission Impossible 3. You had the you know opening part where he's getting tortured. You have the credits. I mean, the orders are reversed. And then you have the smash cut of the, the opening. Except that, And then it was the opening of the fridge. As opposed to the opening of another door. In this case, we transition from that taiwanese prison cell or whatever that is being open door opening to a school door opening and an old man enters a classroom i notice there's not a lot of students here or but it makes more sense because we find out that sydney with normal you know brown hair is taking a test and she's over time and so that's why there's not that many students here yeah because most have finished this reminded me of indiana jones right where Fair he enough. begins yeah. out in the field then he goes to a classroom yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. The other thing about her, the scene where she's tied up, looking back, like originally when I first watched it, I remember thinking, oh, oh, okay, this is good. I'm in. They got mm -hmm. me. And then watching it now, having watched like all the Mission Impossibles and everything, and having not remembered what like all the points and hit points of this show, mm -hmm. and specifically this episode, I was like, they're going to rip off that wig, right? <laughs> <laughs> I also thought it was a wig. Yeah, yeah. That was not my reaction, Jay, I must say. 
Because, again, I mean, having watched so many of the Mission Impossibles recently, mm-hmm. it, it just felt right for that to be like, wah Okay, Christian, don't get mad at me for jumping cat, but there's a part where she grabs her dad's Oh, yeah. Oh, face. no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that. Don't worry. Yeah. Remember that. Remember that. It's in my notes. Okay, good. Yeah. She is taking her sweet old time, and her professor is a sweet... Old man who allows her to keep on writing. Five minutes over already, and she's like, as he's in front of her, she's still writing and finishing the essay. Thank you for letting me finish. So I have questions (laughs) about this. So is she not smart? Because she is smart. Why is she having so much trouble with this test? I don't get it. (laughs) It's explained like immediately after. This just isn't my subject or something like that? No, it's because she's on missions all the time. She doesn't have time to prep. Oh. She assumes that she was recruited because she was an A student. Then she had all these other extracurriculars and like her abilities and all that stuff. So she has never had an issue. And it even ties into when you get the whole voiceover where she's having the conversation. Mm-hmm. I failed. I got a D and all that stuff. <laughs> it's because she's never had issues studying, having issues keeping up. But because of her secondary life, she doesn't have that time to actually focus and actually take time to study. Oh, Makes I sense. see. Kind of like Spider-Man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Brilliant but lazy. Do they ever say what she's studying, by the way? Not in the pilot. But they do later. You'll have to watch the rest of this episode. Yeah. It should be like <laughs> dance theory. <laughs> she thinks she's got a D. She's talking with her boyfriend, Danny, who... Proposes on the school lawn by like singing "Build Me Up Buttercup" loudly, very badly. Okay, what do we think about this, gentlemen? What do we think? It brought a big old smile to my face. Okay, Jay is the pro singing. I cringed. Christian, would you do this? No, well, no, I would not. Okay, but I'm not him. Yeah, and it had a very significant meaning to their relationship. Yeah. I will say it was a very interesting way to start the show, the whole show. This is basically the, still the beginning uh-huh. and our way to introduce this character. Yeah, I agree. It gives you the sense that she does have the side of lightheartedness, of fun, fully engaging in society and her partner and everyone else around. It sees that. And it, and I like the fact that it pans to like everyone else on campus watching. So she is right. visible. People know her. She's 100% mm-hmm. visible and part of this current environment and world, which is unique, I think, a lot. Because you expect a spy to kind of keep her head down and kind of keep a low profile. But this shows that she rebuts against like the norm, right? Right. Yeah. So it sets up the fact that the show is more about relationships, rather than necessarily strictly a spy show. Mm-hmm. That's true. And also, I noticed that there's WB music, like CW-style <laughs> music. Yeah. You guys notice this? It's really prominent later on, and we'll get to it. Yeah, but Jay, you got me thinking, I wonder if there's a contrast where the fiancé is loud and the center of attention and loves it, whoas she is, like, so embarrassed and doesn't, and it's like, don't look at me, right? Yeah, yeah I, 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 I 100% agree with that. But it also shows and implies the fact that, one, she also has a lot of friends and like, and she obviously is very social and can take it. A spy would have been like, 
knock it off. Like, <laughs> the fact that she's laughing and enjoying and looking about and then making eye contact with everyone shows that she isn't necessarily strictly about wow. the whole wall garden. Yeah, the other observation I have about this scene is she says, did you get the Dave Matthews tickets, which also <laughs> dates this show. What are you talking about? My friends were just talking about getting Dave Matthews tickets. <laughs> Granted, they're also from this period of time, too. <laughs> the same age. She says yes, and she goes back to her place, shows off the ring to her friend, reveals that she hasn't told her dad yet, and we also find out that her mother is dead. And she has issues with her dad. Yes. She's like, I don't even know if I want to tell him. But also, I got to say, once he proposed and she said yes, I was like, something's going to happen to this guy. (laughs) There are no TV show protagonists that are going to get married. At least not for very long. He's a doctor, which... So basically, does J.J. Abrams just make his, you know, spy protagonist... Other. Significant others medical professionals because julia was a nurse this one's a doctor it's just it's all variations on the theme here it's another very respected profession respected profession that takes people's lives in hand Um, risk uh, (laughs) danny called her dad to ask for permission we get a flashback to it happening her dad's played by victor garber welcome a welcome sight And he, like, chews Danny out. This is my favorite part. He's just like, why are you talking to me? Why are you calling me? You're going to do what you want anyway. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. You, you definitely understand why him and his daughter don't get along so high. And it's not even, why are you talking to me? It's, do you know my daughter? She would not want you to talk to me. <laughs> Knock it off. Are you sure you want to marry Do you actually know her? Because if she finds out you called me, she's going to call you an idiot basically. Well, it's a sign that he doesn't know her as well as he thinks he does, which is true. Well, no, because because when she talks about that whole thing, like her, the relationship, she's like, wait, what? Like, she understands the fact that that's not a good idea. Right. So he does. I, this didn't bother me, but you would think that if they're going to get married, he would have talked to her about her dad at least once. Right? I mean, he knows enough to find his phone number. That's true. But not enough to know that her and him are almost estranged. I assume that he does, but he's also just doing it as a courtesy. Which is what he gets called out on. Yeah, I'm exactly. not going to be just your courtesy call that one day is going to be an anecdote to your life that you called me. I'm not part of this nonsense. Yeah. If you don't have anything important to talk to me Cindy's going to hate you for calling me. Go away. Goodbye. Welcome to the family. I hate you. Goodbye. (laughs) There you go. To be fair, he doesn't say I hate you. He just says, you're just wasting both of our time. Yep. (laughs) Welcome to the family. I did like you answer that with welcome to the family. Anyway, so Sydney is walking to a building, which is labeled Credit Dauphine. So she gets into an elevator. The operator gets her onto a secret floor. While she's in the elevator, she slips off her engagement ring and gets out into a white room, which scans her. First time, it reminded me of The Matrix, not the last. Yeah, well, this, I mean, this reminded me of not the first, not the last time of Mission Impossible 3, the IMF headquarters there. Although this one's more dingy looking. Like, it is <laughs> yeah. underground and it feels like it's under, like, un, like in the basement. Yeah. Well, I mean, it felt more like. A 007 
Interesting. Because in certain 007 ones, they're in like a darker room, in an older environment. Like in Skyfall. Yeah, okay, I can see that. Well, there's also some Mission Impossible where they their headquarters is in a basement. And it is or just headquarters with like a safe house kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Whatever they use. Actually, no, that, remember MI3. We're gonna. I, I told you at the start. We're gonna talk a lot about MI three. Their headquarters is in the basement of the Virginia of Transportation. Yeah, which is why I was like, it felt like Mission Impossible, but it also felt like Double O because mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, no, that makes sense. Virginia, oh. Virginia. Oh. <laughs> Man, I didn't pick up on this, but it is an indication that this organization is not everything it appears to be. I do appreciate the fact. Oh, no, I was going to say, I appreciate the fact that it's like the Virginia-esque feeling, considering <laughs> CIA, mm-hmm. but it's not really, C- but it's not in the CIA, so it's not at Langley. Mm-hmm. Right. Do we know what city this is supposed to be in? I don't think they necessarily spell it out in this episode. Oh, yeah. I would say it's probably not, so it explains why she goes somewhere else. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, do you guys recognize her co-worker here? Carl, what's his last name? Carl something. So, Lovely. he is the, is the voice, voice of the Martian uh, Manhunter. I knew you were going to say that. But he's <laughs> also the Martian Manhunter's dad on Supergirl. I also knew you were going to say that. Yeah, where his face is in front of the camera, so you can actually recognize him. He that. is also the star of the show Mantis, Mantis. which was for one season. It was uh, the... It was him, wheelchair bound, but he creates a super suit that allows him to become a superhero and smash things. <laughs> and like, yeah, it's an exosuit that he can. Huh, yeah, interesting. He is also Isaiah Bradley in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yes. Yes, that's right. All right, but now that we've said where where he's from, who uh, is he in this show? He's Marcus, her, one of her coworkers. He noticed that she's smiling. She's glowing oh, almost. Apparently, Sloan, the head of this division, is giving a briefing. Someone named Oscar Mueller was killed by an ambulance. He considered himself a modern-day alchemist. There's a race to recover his notes, but they're all gone missing. But one of them has surfaced in Taipei. And it was reported by uh, one of their agents, Antonio Quinteros. The notes are in a uh, foreign la- or in a old language, demotic. Sydney has to go in undercover at an embassy party, case the building, recon only, no retrieval. So I like how there's a Q here who's nervous. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a requirement that every gadget guy needs to be nervous. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, the original Q, not nervous. I like the gear that he gives her. RF scrambler disguises a lighter, which works for four minutes. A lipstick cam, which also does three-dimensional scanning has a short pulse laser and a grid analyzer. What the heck is a grid analyzer? It, it'll break down the environment into a grid so you can measure out distance. And oh, so that's all part of the three-dimensional blueprint G- part. Okay. Yep. So it sync, then it'll sync to the GPS so it can get a better understanding of layout. Okay, that makes sense. I was like, that seems specific. It didn't sound like they were all part of the same thing, so I wasn't sure. The way he produces the description is very asynchronously expelled i will say <laughs> is how i say it, how i describe it because it's literally him just like about like literally just spitting out periods of words that <laughs> you don't know if they're congruently in sync yeah 
Now, this actor looks familiar. I can't place... Well, I know he's in an episode, Chuck, but I can't think of where, what else he's in. Oh, he's in so many uh, that you've seen. I'm sure I've seen uh, him in other things. X-Files, 60 Seconds, Felicity, Buffy the Vampire is there, uh, uh, Charmed. Oh. oh, I do remember him on Charmed, actually. Yeah. Well, as soon as I saw him, that triggered memories of him. <laughs> he's very distinctive looking. I remember him from nothing else except this. Yeah, he has one of those faces that you just go, hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably double faced. <laughs> yeah. Double agent something or just evil. Okay, let's go. So we next cut to Sydney running on a track. Is that Bradley Cooper? What's he doing here? All right. Welcome to Media Bradley Cooper. Is this his like first role? Yeah. Oh wow. It's like one of his, yeah, I, I believe it is like his first major role in anything. Huh. Crazy. He plays uh, Sydney's friend, Will. More like friend zoned Will. Yeah. Big time. Get wrecked. <laughs> I mean, come on, Will. She's been dating this guy for a long time. And they just got engaged. You got to move on here, buddy. Come on. Yes, he might be hung up on her, but he is also, well, no, his sister set him up on the blind date. So I don't know how willing he is to try to move on. Good question. I don't know. Well, so my interpretation of that conversation is that he's like a little spectrumy, a little, a little odd. No. What? You, you guys didn't get that impression? No. Not at all. Okay. I don't really have any notes to back up my theory. That's just the vibe <laughs> that I got. Okay. Because he's like, my sister sent me up on this blind date, but he doesn't seem interested at all. And you guys think it's because he's still in love with Sydney. Yes. That's the reason? Okay. Yeah, completely shunting off that whole. Yeah, maybe she's you know, cool, but you know, I'm obviously it's the de- self-deprecating of. You no, know, it was cool, but you know, I could do better. Maybe wink, wink. <laughs> Ugh, that's even worse. I don't know which theory makes him look better. Eh. I do like his getaway of they just finished. He's topless. He's all heated, and he's, they're talking, and then she's like. Hey, and he goes, sure, on. I'm going to run away from my problem. <laughs> yeah, <I'm laughs> like, just like, I'm going to take a few more laps. <laughs> run away. Run away. Yeah, so that also gives you a hint of what this show will be. That there's emotional, kind of like Chuck, but more serious, emotional, romantic things happening. I mean, right? so does most shows. I get it because it's a you're expecting, like, the whole way they advertised it was that the show was a spy show, mm-hmm. an espionage show. So the fact that there was so much relationship building, so much of the interplay, caught a lot of people off guard. Which reminds me of a movie there. You know, all the focus on the interpersonal romance caught everyone off guard. Mission Impossible 3. Yeah, but Mission Impossible 3 wasn't like 50-50. And this show isn't 50-50 either, but there is just a lot. I mean, there is a lot of Tom Cruise getting married and all that, all of that in MI3. And his whole reasoning for the last end of it. Anyways, let's get back on track. And not the yes. running track. Haha, <laughs> Terrible joke. Oh, God. I would love to be on a running track right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sydney is back at her place, reading a book on hieroglyphics. Danny's nearby. They start kissing but sydney is distracted 
She takes him by the hand upstairs, turns up the music, tells him to get undressed and get in the shower. And he promptly agrees and is like, oh, uh, yeah, baby. Oh, and that's yeah. when she blows her cover. <laughs> Have you guys uh, seen or read Gone Girl? No. no. I've read the book and seen the movie. They're both good. But there's a part where they do this, where they, the couple gets mm-hmm. taken and get in the shower. But that's because she's going to confess to murder. Uh, and she has to make sure that she's not being recorded. So right. It's... I mean, this is also why she did that. Yes. Yeah, it's a trope that's been forever and ages. Of you don't want to be recorded, you go into the shower because who records in the bathroom? Plus, there's the shower. But I don't know about you, the shower isn't that loud. Also, the acoustics in there are probably are always very good. So, if anything, it would make it easier to hear. Yeah, but the assumption is is that there isn't a recording device in the shower. Plus, the steam would disrupt any electronics hmm. and all that stuff. But it's mostly the fact that you have the sound of the shower plus the music. Hmm. And you're recording from outside the door. But I don't know about you, but I can hear people in the bathroom from outside in my living room. <laughs> if there's someone showering. I go, hey, you need a towel? I, they can hear me and I can hear them. It, like right. the truth, I don't know. I'm very, I've been very curious to <laughs> where this whole concept came from. Get the Mythbusters on it. It's just a unique way because it's in everything. So then it's like, does she just watch a lot of spy shows? Maybe. <laughs> because or maybe. you assume in her training at some point, they go, hey, just so you know, showers don't cover up noise. But here's the question, though. And we'll, I mean, we'll get to it. What training did she have? That's true. That's a good point. One last thing, though, is that in Gone Girl, at least, they put their faces really close and speak really quietly. They do not do that here. No. That's a little bit of a caveat. So after that, we go back to the beginning where Sydney is tied up. There's a Taiwanese guy who's back with something, but then we go back to them and we see that they do inject her. She gets really groggy and then passes out. And then we get it back within a flashback. (laughs) Yes. It's a, there's a lot of flashbacks here, but we get a flashback where Sydney's telling the story of her recruitment, presumably to Danny. So right. someone approached her and said that the government wants to talk to her about a job. Apparently she fit a profile. She said she didn't feel like she really belonged anywhere, but she needed the money. So she met with the guy. They offered her a job. It's not exactly the CIA. It's a covert branch within the CIA. So, yes, it, it is. And they say she's a natural at everything. <laughs> so here's the thing. No. Could we just we get one spy show where the lead spy, Chuck doesn't count because he's not a spy, the lead spy is not like the greatest spy in the universe, please? But if you're getting recruited, most oftentimes you are going to be exceptional. Like mm-hmm. the fact that they approached her as a freshman in college, she would have to stand out dramatically. Mm-hmm. Or have some other connections. Yeah. Well, if, if this were a comedy show, I would say she's not, in fact, the greatest spy ever. They just led her to believe that she was. Yeah. I don't even think you need it as a comedy. It's just the fact that they were like, we know someone. Yeah. And if things go south, we have something on them. <laughs> yep. So anyway, if I can finish my rant, Michael Weston was this legend among Russian intelligence. Archer right. is the world's most dangerous spy. So he says... No, 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 that other guy says that. The guy interrogating him in the first yeah. scene. Is, is he the 
I also wanted to say really quick in this part, in the college campus, there's a requiem for a dream poster on one of the bulletin boards, which also <laughs> dates the show. She asks after a few, I think, was it, I forget if it was weeks or months, if she could test for agent training. She advances really quickly as she's telling Danny this a remote location where there's a bunch of machinery around them. <laughs> yeah, it's like an oil rig. <laughs> yeah. He's still very incredulous. He needs time. She tells him that he can't tell anyone. And she's got her trip coming up, so she'll call him when she gets back. And it's San Diego, right? Wink, hmm. wink. I know it's not San Diego. How dare you lie to me again? It's a sign of things to come. Yep. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> also in this part, she says to him, I wanted to find someone to give my life meaning. Mm-hmm. Which is a very interesting character choice, I must say. Also, oh, can I, can you elaborate? So assuming she wasn't just straight up lying, it means that she didn't feel like her life had meaning before him. Which is very interesting considering she's in a very hard-driving, dedicated profession. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's pre, it's the reason why she joins them. So she doesn't have the profession yet. That's the reason why she joined it, because she wanted a mission. She wanted something to make sense and make important in her life. She had already lost her mother. Her father was basically disin- disinterested, disengaged from her life. Mm-hmm. So she had nothing, no real major ties or anything to make anyone, any reason to make anyone feel proud or make anything of her life because she had nothing to prove. So the fact that suddenly someone goes, hey, you want to join the CIA and save the world? allows her to get to finally find someone who will give her the approval that she's always seeked in life. Okay. Well, your answer prompts another question, which is how long has she been doing this? Since she was a freshman and she is now a grad student. Yeah. So she's been doing it for a while. She didn't develop any meaning in her life from that. No. So again, I, think the phrasing is why you're getting confused because she said she joined them because she wanted something to make meaning in her life so she stayed because that gave her and fulfilled her but she right right. now she's saying this to dan yeah so outside of work finally she finally found something other than work that makes life worth living because all she had was work she only had work up to that point i must not have picked up on that or you just had a very good life. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> wow. Mm, Sorry, Mom. <laughs> I know you love Alias, but hey. <laughs> she's on the plane with Marcus. We find that apparently Sloane does not like that she's still in grad school. And we also find out that Marcus's wife doesn't know the truth about his job. She asked if, you know, does it really? After all these years? And she's like, lying must get easier with time. And he goes, <laughs> I do it for her. Interesting that she always sits middle now. Now that uh, I'm thinking about Oh, did she say middle? She sat next to Interesting. All right. Well, I've... so they arrive in Taipei. There's a big party. Sidness and Marcus are mingling. Danny calls Sydney, gets her answering machine. Remember those? Uh, I had the exact same answering machine. <laughs> Marcus collapses as a distraction as Danny is leaving a message. Sydney sets her watch for four minutes. Marcus activates the lighter, which knocks out all of the cameras. And Sydney goes to do her recon. Danny is still leaving his message. He's clearly drunk 
And as he's leaving the message, she mentions that she's a spy. And as soon as that happens, listening stations pick it up. Someone hears the voicemail, takes off his headset and goes to report to someone. He never actually says that he knows that she's a spy. He only mentions the fact that he knows she is living. Uh uh-uh. uh. He says spice. He says spice. Does he? No, I don't have the exact quote, but he says no. something like, I know you have a crazy job. I know things are wild. This world is dangerous no matter what we do. Spies live a dangerous life. I uh-huh. understand and I'm here for it. Well, or something like that. Starts with the whole thing about children and he's like, like, you know, I want children and sometimes, yeah, he says spies. Yeah. He does say spies. He does say spies, but he doesn't say you are a spy. He yeah. oh, he it, enough to it's say. Implied. It's implied, but it's not a direct. Okay. It's enough that reasonable you could brush it off if you need to. So this scene was interesting for a couple of reasons. It shows there's another side to Danny than just Mr. Handsome Boyfriend Doctor Man, who's just so loving and <laughs> just loves me so much. Uh, he just loves her. So that was cool. I actually liked uh, it. But then also this wiretap. So here's the question, gentlemen. Do you think ST6 was tapping his phone because he was dating Sydney, Or was it like a mass surveillance and they were just looking for the word spy? I think they were tapping his phone or tapping her phone. Yeah. yeah. Her line was tapped, not his. Yeah. Oh. Because eventually, because they get the recording. Yeah. So Sydney is picking a lock and we see her trying to get through the door. Sloan gets a call, is informed about the voicemail, says he wants the audio like we were talking about. Sydney gets through the doors, is scanning the environment. And the, yeah, the whole time she's doing it, she's scanning the environment, basically the blueprint. But she... As she goes into this place, she sees it's a lab, finds the tech that was in the document that surfaced, and is doesn't have enough time to grab it, so, and she has only two seconds left before the cameras go back up. She bolts upstairs, the cameras go back online before she gets all the way up, so they go see ahead. Sydney coming up the stairs. Yeah, just like Mission Impossible, things don't always go perfectly, which I like. If she hadn't gone for the photo, the close-up, she would have been just fine. Mm-hmm. That's but right. she would never would have known it was there. Yeah, but that's not her issue. <laughs> <laughs> She's just an overachiever. The Taiwanese guy who injected her, you know, in the future, but right previously, um, who I think is like the head of security there, mm. finds her. She pretends that she was lost, that, you know, she was looking for the bathroom, which is the go-to excuse. Yeah, the classic. But it's funny. It's funny because it is the classic. <laughs> right. He lets her go. Sloane is talking to someone saying that Daniel found out about Sydney, uh, and it's revealed to be Victor Garber, who I don't remember his, his character's name, actually. Mr. Bristow. I also want to say Bristow, that the yeah. joke was good. There's just enough humor in this show to keep things different, a little bit different, but without having it be too silly. Like, mm-hmm. It's still a pretty serious show overall. Yeah, yeah. He go- his name is Jack Bristow with this. Jack, thank you. All right. It's always Jack. It's- I named you Jack, a hero's name. <laughs> Although thinking about Jack and this actor just reminds me of Titanic. Mm. Yeah. We're down with that second ship. <laughs> Zach doesn't get because he still hasn't seen Titanic. Hey, neither have I. What? Yeah. What? Jay, huh. you've never seen Titanic either? No. 
we'll see you up on Christian Jay. <laughs> anyway, Victor Garber will always be uh, Professor Stein to me. Uh, hold on, Jay. We're going to need to talk about this later, but not during this episode. <laughs> but it's interesting because so this scene is interesting because you get Sloan talking about what he finds out and Jack goes, Oh, and then Sloan like genuine is like, sorry, I'm, you just lost. You're going to be losing your uh, future son-in-law. And he's like, yeah, shit happens. <laughs> and it's like, and, but it's not like you can see that there's a certain amount of detachment, but still a little bit of remorse, mm-hmm. but you get the sense that he is a no nonsense agent. You can tell that, he is willing to do what he needs to do. And he even says that at some point, you know me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it sets up the fact that he is renowned for his ability to detach and do whatever, ever is needed for the agency, which is interesting because you get the nice Marcus who is like, yeah, hey, I have a wife. Oh, this earbud, it hurts my ears. And then you got <laughs> the bumbly Q who's like, I, 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 it does four minutes? It does take 43 pictures, but I want 47 because it's prime. You get well, so it just sets up a very serious and it uh, reinforces the whole conversation with the son-in-law. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what I was going to say about this. So, uh, yeah, it's between Victor Garber. Now, I wasn't expecting that. It would have been funny if Victor Garber was like, yeah, I never liked that guy. He called me up to ask if I could propose to his daughter. <laughs> yeah. So, because this is like one of the first early times where I'm introduced to Victor Garber uh-huh. growing up, like, I've always had this image of Victor Garber in my uh, mind. Okay. Like, a semi-serious kind, kind of emotionally detached. Uh-huh. So, like throughout his whole career, like this portrayal has always stayed in my mind. <laughs> so then you get Damn. to like legend, and you get the oh, like, where he's much oh, more goofy oh. and all that. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it's, <laughs> so every time I see him, I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> and it just throws me off every time. Yeah, kind of like how Hugo Weaving is always going to be Agent Smith. Or Elrond. It's the same period for me. The Matrix. This is also true. This is two thousand. Uh, yeah, two thousand one. It's the this same when, exact same time. So like when the these first, have mentally yep. formed into my mind in college. Yep, yep. It's all the same spot. But yeah, next is yeah the big scene. This is the best part of the episode right here. This is the best. Is yes, this is the big twist. Please, please continue. Continue. She comes to Danny Dead. What? Oh my gosh, this is crazy. She works for the CIA. The CIA doesn't kill their own people's spouses? What is going on? You guys didn't have that reaction? I mean, I I had a feeling he was dead. So what I thought was going to happen was that he was going to have been a spy the whole time working for the bad guys, and then she was going to have to kill him. Oh, so that's what that was what your theory was. Okay, all right. So, yeah, no, I was definitely picking up dead vibes from him as soon as he said the spies and that. Oh, he's a goner. I expected a car accident. Something very clean and right. simple, considering it's her dad doing it. The fact that he left the body in the apartment kind of That's felt messed real messed up. Yeah. Like, hey, honey. Yeah, you screwed up. So I left you a present. 
I mean, it's totally something the bad guys would do, which as it turns out, they are the bad guys. And I am not ashamed to admit it. I totally did not see that twist coming that she was actually Ooh. working with the bad guys. All right. So Sydney, like with Danny's blood still on her clothes, drives over to Credit Dauphine, goes in, sees Sloane, is like, what did you do? And he's, you know, I might ask the same of you. She is obviously pissed. He won't let her out of the room. And says that, you know, McCullough needs to see her. And McCullough go, is like the polygrapher and asks her about SD6, asks what she revealed, asks a lot, a lot of questions. So, you know, I got to say, in covering our real life traitors like Robert Hansen, so he betrayed the FBI for a variety of reasons, according to our sources way back then. Uh-huh. Uh, one of which is he felt like he wasn't getting promoted fast enough. Can you, can you imagine if the FBI like killed his wife? It seems like a great way to get people to betray you or to otherwise yeah. try to undermine your organization. This manufacture huge grievances. Yeah, but if your life is the agency, then you come to terms with the fact that you screwed up. Yeah, it's like a whole crazy mind game, which I did kind of like. Going to those questions, I like the fact that they're like, hey, who are you? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. The one question that oh. always screwed with me was the question of, so... If you know people or your friends break the law, would you? Is it appropriate to turn them in? Hmm. Now I have to ask: Are you rats? Yes. <laughs> if you're an agent, hmm. what do you think they they're expecting from Ooh, you? That's a good. Question. This is why it always screws with my head because like, as an agent, did they ask her that question in the episode. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. The second to the last question they asked, they're like, so do you think it's a, a appropriate to, if you are caught, to turn or to report on uh, your compatriots or, or your partners or something like that? Oh, well, that's a different question. <laughs> Is it? Christian, maybe I misheard Jay. I thought your original question was, if your friend breaks the law, do you tell on them? Yeah, it's the, it's the same question. No, it's not the same question. Because if you and your friend are <laughs> undercover serving your country in a foreign land but that's the whole point that's the point they're asking this specific question if you're if your companion if your companions screw you and in this situation you're an agent do you think it's appropriate and would you turn on your friends do you hmm. think it's a good thing so that's my question to you really you're watching this show on a different level than that <laughs> Are you going to rat on your friends as an agent? As an agent, no. <laughs> if they were criminals, <laughs> yes. If they were agents, no. No. If if your friends are criminals and you are an agent, oh. would you rat on your friends? Well, let me go grab yes. a book called Fair Play by James M. <laughs> Olsen. Maybe he will address this exact circumstance. I would presume in that very specific circumstance, you do whatever is best for the mission, right? Do you? If it's best for the mission... Yeah. What if it's just in general? They're like, hey, your friends, bro- we suspect your friends broke the law, and you know, and you're an agent. This is such a very specific set of circumstances. <laughs> I don't think it's a very specific. I think it's just a very interesting way they. I would recommend you re watching just that section. Okay. And listen to the exact wording because it really messed with me when I first heard it the first time, and it messed with me again this time. I was like, because it comes from an agent's perspective but they're not those people aren't 
agents or are they agents? It's a very open question. So you have to come to terms and interpretation. The one that actually got me thinking there was, which I was like, that's an interesting, very specific question is like, have you ever had, you know, um, had an, uh, an enemy? Or I don't remember what phrase he term he used, but like an enemy who was so clever that you wanted them to escape. That's almost the exact wording. Yeah, he was yeah. like, were we ever pursuing a criminal that was so clever? You thought they deserved well, to escape or something. something like that. I was like, that is yeah. an interesting question. I was like, that is the thing where, you know, if you're chasing them, you, you kind of admire them. Like, you know, oh, that, that was very clever kind of thing. Like, you kind of want to see it succeed because then yeah. you're like, oh, that was a great idea. One of the earliest, like, spy museum parties that I went to, I remember I met, I don't remember who these people were, but... It was a Russian agent who defected, but before he defected, he had been, you know, running agents in the U.S. And next to him was the FBI agent who was who had chased him during those days. And now they're like good friends. It's like catch me if you can. Yeah, it's got to be interesting. Like, I'm sure you guys have stories of like, you know, oh, you catch me, catch you know, catch me if you can. Yeah, basically that. So yeah, seems like most of. Recent articles I've read about that whole thing says that apparently Frank Abagnale like made up all of it, that whole <laughs> story, which is a great movie, but not what we're talking about here today. It's a great story, yeah. Who cares if it's not true? When uh, Sydney is done with the the polygraph, she is like staring at Sloan, talking to someone. There's a close up on the lips. I swear, I thought she was lips. Uh, with just like in Mission Impossible. I'm pretty sure. The implication is that she is reading mm-hmm. the lips. So she understands the fact that she's being ratted out. So uh, building, she sees that her car has been towed. It's just adding insult to injury. Yeah. I'm surprised it didn't raining on her there. And Alanis Morissette isn't playing <laughs> in the background. <laughs> Which would have fit with some of the music choices here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll get to the music later. <laughs> yeah, right. We will, right? We get. We got to talk about that. Anyway, so back to uh, when she's getting interrogated in Taiwan. So the head of security wants to know who she's working for. She says, "All right, write this down: E M E T I B. Reverse it. Bite me." It was so good. <laughs> it was so good. Again, a very much a nineties. This is something uh... people would say in the nineties. Was bite me. I'm surprised you didn't tell him to eat my shorts. <laughs> uh, That's too, that was too hard to spell out. <laughs> yeah. So she says she's got nothing to lose, and he is given a case with dental tools. That, nope, you you you've got a few things to lose still. Yeah, that and was a good comeback. Cut back to Daniel's funeral. We see all the people. I don't think we see her father, but we see pretty much every like all the other people, including presumably. Daniel's parents. We see Will there. We see someone with pink hair talking to Will. Apparently his sister. sister. Right. Which felt really weird, their interaction. Will and his sister, like, eh, yeah, because I like, like no idea who that was. So I was like, she's like wearing like never fishnets. Yeah. Never mentioned. Yeah. Never brought up ever again. Like, he mentioned that her sis, his sister. We get brought, to that. Like, we get that. Yeah. Yeah, we get to that. But like at this point we it's like this rando hug, kiss, goodbye. Definitely doesn't fit in. Stands out like all hell. And yeah. then it's just like That's weird. What? Very strange choice, yeah. 
I mean, there was the drop line about his sister setting him up with someone. I guess that's to introduce that he has a sister, but that didn't connect the dots for me until later. I was like, who is this person with the pink hair? Yeah, and you, there's a part where you see him playing with a little kid. Yeah. Yeah, so what? I thought that was interesting because, one, Danny is a pediatrician. Ah. Two, he keeps yeah. talking about how he wants kids uh-huh. throughout his whole diatribe. And then there's Will playing with kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little parallels happening here. It's true, but you don't need it. No, 100%. It was unnecessary. But it was very interesting to see that they decided to show some parallels in that capacity. Yeah. At this point, I have a note. There's still a half an hour left. (laughs) I thought we were almost done. Right. Remember, it's a pilot. So pilots typically are longer because they need to, like, give the whole story that they want to expand upon in the season. I mean, yes, that's true. But I just feel like the emotional climax is now. Right? So it feels like the end. Yeah. I guess not. Not really. Also, Jay, I think we need a line. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll grab that audio and then grab what, everything that I told him in Bird Notice. Line that up. It'll be exactly the same thing. <laughs> I still want to <laughs> We go to Sydney drinking wine next to her bed. She's listening to the, you know, answering, re-recording it. So it's just her. doesn't have Danny in it. Uh-huh. And she has in the thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so sweet. It really was. It was very touching. I didn't notice that, that she says thank you. <laughs> yeah, because you hear her. You hear the old message right before, yeah. and the last thing is, she meant to say thank you. Oh, and then, that's right. Then she re-records, and she takes a beat, and she goes, thank you. Hmm. And then she ends it. Interesting. Didn't notice that. Didn't catch it. That's a good catch. All right, so back to her class. Right. She, uh, as the old guy is lecturing, Sydney gets a page. Remember pagers? Who had a pager? I had a pager. I know, Jay, you had a pager. I had a two-way pager. Ooh, fancy. I just had a one-way pager. With the keyboard and everything. What? Because it had AOL Instant Messenger. (laughs) Really? It's practically just a phone. Well, it was pre-cell phone. It was right when cell phones came out. It came. They had Instant Messenger on. Some weird hybrid technology. Interesting. I loved that thing because I sat in math class just (laughs) on IM. This is right when like AOL IM came out. IM, yeah. It was very popular. So in college at this time, you either had a landline or you Mm -hmm. messaged people on AOL IM. So none of us use our phones. We strictly messaged and got a hold of each other through AOL. I am Mr. Messenger. Mm-hmm. So like if I wanted to coordinate friends, I would not call. I'd send an I am. And right. if you weren't at your computer, you're screwed. But this allowed me to always be in contact with my friends because I went to a tech college. So we're always around a computer. <laughs> so it was enough. super easy. But we were never around our phone. Did you call it AIM or did you call it oh, AIM? No, AIM. Okay, because there are people... I will not name who, uh, who call it AIM. Okay, no. It was AIM and ICQ. ICQ. Oh, God. I never used that, but I did use AIM. Yeah. I still know my ICQ number. Anyways, we're getting distracted again. We're getting nostalgic for this era. So she gets a page that says Sloan 911. Uh, after class, Marcus finds her. He says that Sloan's impatient. They gave her a three. There's been a time jump. It's now three months from the previous yeah. scene. 
FTL is like apparently one of the rival organizations. They finished building the Mueller device. So Sydney goes to have dinner by herself at a restaurant. She's watching a couple at a table nearby being sad. Aw, so sad. Walks back to her car in the garage, gets in the car. As soon as she gets in, I thought there was going to be someone in her back seat. That's what I That's was what I thought. Yeah, the way it was angled, the camera angle made it look like someone was going to just come out and like mm-hmm. cut her throat or something. I appreciate the upgrade from her old school oh. 80s SUV. Yeah, what was that? To a nice F-150. I think it was F-150. Was to a brand out? new truck, yeah. which truck. was bright red pickup yeah. truck. So it was like, oh, insurance paid off. There you go. June yeah. from uh, night and day would be proud. <laughs> so when she does get in the car, she sees a laser sight and someone shoots like a machine pistol at her. Yeah, it was like a micro Uzi or something. Yeah, yeah. basically. I I thought it was interesting. The fact that you could see it like underneath like the windowsill. The mm-hmm. truck is like seven inches higher yeah. than where the gun would be so how does like they're like doing the gangster like over the they're, shoulders it's not like they're on well here's the only way this works and i know it's not true but i'm gonna retcon in my mind it's one of those angled garages uh, okay. it definitely did not look like that but we'll pretend it was. that is all hell but in my mind that's the way it works <laughs> no i get it i was just i was like wait a minute <laughs> okay, here's my theory. The guy's standing and shoots and then gets in the car immediately before the camera can pan. No, he's out. in the car as he He's shoots. already in the car. Yeah. They show the gun before they show the laser. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Man. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, so she gets out of her car, tries to get away. She calls her roommate and says, you know, I don't know if my ringer is working. Can you call me back? So uses the ring to... The Nokia ringtone. God, that... Ringtone haunts my life. Haunts your dreams. I like how if she had a smartphone now, she could just use a timer. Yeah. Set the timer to 20 seconds. I mean, those had timers already, didn't they? Yeah. They did. But the timer sound would be very distinct. It's very, yeah, no. It's because of that ringtone was very. In 2001, everyone who had a cell phone had that Nokia probably, and they had the exact (laughs) same ringtone. So you immediately knew, uh, no, it's a cell phone rather than any other technological device. Not to right. mention, they were so hard to use. It's probably easier just to ask someone to call you back than like figure out how to set the alarm. I mean, yeah, I knew yeah, how to yeah. do that on my Nokia. Well, being shot at. Well, I don't know about being shot. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Distraction is able to get a drop on the assailants. I thought her kicks or or her stunt woman's kicks looked pretty good. And then I noticed that at the one point, like one of the guys who was attacking her, like a tornado kick. I'm like, no, dude, it's a good kick. Yeah. It was 2001. The Matrix was still very popular. Karate fights. A car pulls around with her father in it. Daddy? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, Jay, thank you. She says, Daddy, which feels wrong considering their relationship. Any thoughts? I mean, Not it really. might be a different relationship. Oh, no, don't, don't go there, Jay. <laughs> yeah, Jay, you had to do that, didn't you? I did. Uh, I would say this is a family-friendly podcast, but that's not It's true. not. Definitely hey, not. it's family-friendly still. Not when Jay's <laughs> around. Nope. And not after that one episode of Jack of All Trades of the erectile dysfunction. Oh, God. 
That's what right. Many others before that. that. Yeah. Anyway, she goes, Daddy, and he yells at her that she needs to trust him, blah, blah, blah. They see the car. She dumps in. He pulls out a handgun, and she's like, <gasps> Daddy, what? She's like, oh, my gosh, you have a gun. It's, like, amazing. You think she hasn't been a spy for the past five years. Yeah, but she didn't expect her dad to be a spy, yeah. too. He was a desk jock and some scientific... He sells airplane parts. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The gun being a thing is totally... I would have been more surprised by the driving. Uh, <laughs> the fact that uh, he can do a quick 180 mm-hmm. into a reverse, into all that. I would have been like, put on your seatbelt, honey. It was like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Stunt driver. How dare you? Give me that gun. She, the fact that she doesn't re- demand the gun from him mm-hmm. caught me off guard. I was like, "That's true. you're the spy. Yeah. You want the gun in your hands. Why are you letting daddy deal with it? So he shoots one of the, the people chasing them in an, who's in another car, says that the agency doesn't trust her anymore. He reveals that he also works for SD6 and says, you know, you got to go to this place and this place. You go to Switzerland. Get in the car. Yeah. She, this is when she feels for the mask to make sure it's actually him. But they never talk about that they use masks, ever. Eh. If you haven't seen a Mission Impossible movie, it just looks like she's just grabbing his face for no reason. I mean, like, I figured it out, but I am an informed viewer. <laughs> yeah. But at this time, I mean, you still want to be, like, are you real? Like, That's, it's the it whole could be that too, idea yeah. of, are you a real person? What are you doing? Okay, so do they use masks later? I will not say. Watch the season. I'm not going to watch. Just tell me, please. No. Watch <laughs> the season. Okay, so the thing is, something I wanted to also mention is that this is a J.J. Abrams show, but unlike yeah. certain other J.J. Abrams properties, it's not endless mystery boxes. There are some uh, mysteries, enough to keep you invested, <laughs> but it's not like a million What mysteries. I know of this show. Watch the show. <laughs> I'm, the I'm just talking about the pilot, okay? Okay, fair enough. That's true. This one thing is like a tiny little thing. You blink and you miss it, but it's a mystery. And it's a, I assume it is explained later, but if Jay won't tell me. Or it could be like the rabbit's foot. Which is never explained. Uh-huh. That is also classic JJ. Uh-huh. Yeah, 100%. He reveals that a decade ago, a pool of agents went rogue. They were known as the Alliance of 12. And then the big reveal, SD6 is a branch of the Alliance, not of the CIA. And she's been lied mm-hmm. to this whole time. All the junior lower level agents are lied to. I'm the enemy? But here's the thing. How yeah. does she know he's telling the truth? Because it's does. daddy. I mean. But she doesn't like it, her dad, really. The fact that he knows all the, like, so that he knows about SD6. He knows about the, the Alliance of 12. He knows all this stuff. He just oh. pulled amazing driving stunts. Uh-huh. Could shoot the hell out of people. Like. And SD6 did kill her fiance and almost tried to kill her. Yeah, there's that yeah. too. Yeah, this there's song. a lot of things play towards making this a reasonable discussion uh-huh. or whatever a reasonable discussion is at this point. Reasonable is a word, let's see. <laughs> yeah, so there's also a part where he says, Why do you think you've never been to Langley? My initial reaction was to scoff. But then I was like, Well, if she's in the next level covert group that's like so super uh-huh. secret. <laughs> No one ever knows about it. Farm or anything, yes. Yeah, so I, I buy it. I didn't have a problem with that. Yeah. It is all good. Anyway, so we go back to the torture scene from the very beginning. The 
head guard is about to pull some teeth. She says, one last time, who do you work for? She doesn't doesn't give him an answer. Gets her teeth pulled. Can you go, start from the back? <laughs> Which is great. That was like crazy. That part was, I didn't even talk about it. Yeah. It was out of control. I appreciate the fact that she's like, don't mess up my yeah, veneers. Nah, 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 yeah, right. From the back. I, I want to still look good. So we go to see Will at work. He is works at a newspaper, seemingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a journalist. They say yeah. that. Mm-hmm. He gets a note from Sydney that says, I'm on the roof. She yes. says she needs his help, needs to borrow one of his sister's credit cards and her passport. a $3,000 limit minimum mm-hmm. that she'll pay back. So I guess this is why they had the sister earlier. So yep. she had the bright red hair. Yeah. But then... I'm also kind of like, so she's the one fictional spy who doesn't have a shoebox full of passports and credit cards ready to be used at a moment's notice. Well, she's been burned, so she can't yeah. use any of the things. Uh, that Michael Weston also it. doesn't have any of that. Yeah. Okay, she hasn't been burned yet, though. So this was she confusing. No, the agency sent agents to kill her. But then at the end, she comes back to them and they're like, welcome back. Because she did the classic Ethan Hunt. Oh, you think I'm accused of doing something. So no, I'm going to do it. And actually pull it off and bring it back to you. And prove I'm better and you need me. But yeah, at this time, the assumption is all of anything that the agency has given her is burned. And she can't rely on anybody or anything Mm -hmm. internally to her life. She has to depend on external resources. Okay. Yeah, I got some of that. It just wasn't so super clear exactly what was going on between her and the agency. Eh, I mean, they sent people to kill her. How much more clear do you need to be? And Daddy specifically said, the if you don't get on that in that car and fly away, the agency is going to burn you to the ground, basically. Eventually. No, immediately. <laughs> like, imminently. Okay, fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I did think it was funny when she's like, I need to take your sister's passport. Couldn't she just take anybody's passport and doctor it? Because she's a super spy. Well, so here's the thing. So she goes into the gas station bathroom, dyes her hair, and adds the mold to her passport into her own to her own face. I like that because she's so distinctive looking. People are going to focus on the hair and maybe the mole. They're not going to really pay attention to the face. Yeah. That's why you pick that person. Yeah. I really appreciated this fact. The fact that, one, it's very low sophistication. Mm-hmm. It's strictly taking... A artist pen and drawing a little mole on the passport because who's going to yeah. cut a passport? It just mm-hmm. looks like it works. She doesn't have to rip it off, worry about any of that stuff. Uh-huh. And then she just kind of has to do this because, like you said, it's a very distinct. People remember very specific markers on people's faces. They don't mm-hmm. go, oh, it's blah, blah, blah with hair this length. They go, pink hair, mole. That's all it is. Yeah, like, those are. are the things that stand. So I really appreciated the fact that they went, she went low key, but very specific with mm-hmm. the mole. Uh, and I like it was a good like. Also, when she was interacting with the gate agent, it was really like making her focus on the hair and all and the makeup and everything, and not on what her face looked. And very personable. So yeah. like, they connect at a whole different level rather than just customer. Okay, this customer had a mole, this customer had this. Oh, and wanting to make this person, wanting to make Sydney succeed. 
Yeah, I wanted to try to help her out. Usually when you see spies go through checkpoints like this in the movies, they're just like, yes, no. Like, very not, yeah, yeah. very low-key. The fact that she went overboard to make it more personal, to make that connection in case something went wrong, mm-hmm. they have that connection to make that little extra effort, which was perfect in this situation. Oh, yeah. I get the impression that this is what the show is. Like, her with crazy hair, crazy costumes, up to crazy things. Why is pink hair crazy? It's unusual. <laughs> she lands in Taipei, uh, changes into an all-black outfit. She's about to pick a lock on, like, an older car. When someone approaches, she stops. They have a nicer car. They have a... Is it a Jag? Uh, Mercedes, I want to say. I feel like it's a... No, I, I think it is a Jag, because, like, there's, like... A, when she opens a door, there's a big prominent thing about the Jaguar security on, like, the window. Oh, maybe I don't... Oh, know. I didn't see that. That's another little bit of nice humor. Yeah. Going back to, uh, for a hot second... Uh, oh, yeah, uh, go ahead. The changing into the black outfit and everything. This also is to Zach's point of the, the Matrix show. feel. No, the Matrix feel. Because the agents are all wearing like kind of sort of baggy black suit tuxedos <laughs> with black ties. Yep. She changes and like the people that she fights are wearing long black trench coats. She ends up with a black trench coat and all <laughs> black. It's yeah, so like it just keeps tying back into it. And I thought that was because when you first started to talk about the Matrix, I was like, okay, wait till we get to this part. <laughs> but yeah, so she goes into the building, she breaks in, she gets back down to the lab. Can we talk about her her ability to pick locks now? Well, I was about to say, well, okay, sure. Let's talk about it. What? <laughs> what? Breaks her lockpick? Yeah. She's not perfect. She's not Joanna Dark. That's a reference. Yeah. Thank you. Very could... specific reference. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, like, she, she can do lots of cool things. I like the part where she climbs the wall. That was, like, another really good part. But she's not perfect at picking locks. She sometimes screws up and gets caught. Yeah. She yes, doesn't but... get caught somehow. Like, the whole time she's doing it, she's, like, manhandling. And like, <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, oh. Yeah. I appreciated her, her scaling the wall and all that stuff. But then, like, meh, 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 meh. And it's funny because in earlier in the episode, you see her picking a lock too, and she's very delicate, very like very precise. But now she feels the urgency behind it, like she needs to this to do to pr- to yeah prove her. Circumstances are yeah. different. This isn't just another day at the office. Yeah, and it showcases that she's a human being, which yeah. is a bigger part of the whole episode that she is a person who feels stressed she's not the perfect agent because she breaks regulations and all that stuff but yeah i was just like what are you doing what are you doing <laughs> you have time oh she also gets surprised by just this random guard well yeah well she because she's panicking about the broken lock pick and then the guy like sneaks up on her and knocks her out and then i think we're this is the point where we're finally caught up to the beginning Yes. Again, like Mission Impossible 3. Pretty much to the climax of it, that's when you're finally caught up with the stuff that happened in the beginning. Yep. Yeah. Welcome to a 45 minutes ago. <laughs> right? <laughs> the head of security tells her that uh, he gave her a pill that would stop the pain, but it'll wear off in two hours. And it's been almost two hours, so she has a choice. More pills, or we'll pull another tooth. I think you mean the red pill or the blue pill. Uh, 
Oh. Gets him to like come really close, headbutts him, flips over him with the chair, and knocks him out. So I think this was how Black Widow escaped yep. in the Avengers movie. Yep. Yes. Very much so. so. Something I'm wondering, in the next bit, she's about to kill a lot of Taiwanese people in very gruesome ways. So my question is, if she's working for the bad guys, doesn't that make these guys the good guys? Eh. And if it's not that black and white, then maybe SD6 are not as bad as we're led to believe. Like, was all that stuff they said about the alchemist true or not? It's all the lens of perspective and intention. (laughs) I'm just saying, if I were her, I wouldn't have murdered all these people without at least... Trying to ascertain what was well. Okay, on. she definitely kills the head of security. I think. Or, no, she, she doesn't. Definitely shoots the next room. She does not kill the security. That's right. She, just... she cuffs him to a chair and stabs him. Yeah, he's still alive when she leaves, but she definitely shoots a lot of other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did like how she like breaks the, uses it like in a scream of stick. Mm-hmm. Do you like the dual wielding? This was the biggest Matrix. That is very Matrix, yeah. <laughs> very 90s. I remember dual wielding was huge. Halo mm-hmm. 2. Yeah. Wow, wow. So she Golden shoots eye. the door open to the lab, sees the Mueller device. There's a floating red ball. Is like trying to unhook the wires for it, but when she does, the ball is sitting. Right. Did you expect anything like when you see it like fall and pop or like as you saw it floating did you expect like anything out of that whole situation? i mean it's a jj abrams thing so there's always some sort of red you know floating material like in star like red matter in star trek <laughs> or nice was there anything in force awakens force awakens no i feel well i feel like mm-hmm. the rabbit's foot is like a floating red thing inside like a biohazard thing isn't it i actually don't know I don't remember what a rabbit's foot looks like now. Yeah, Jay, this part did it did strike me as a little bit weird, but at this point, I was just along for the ride. Yeah, I just assumed like it was a device that, like, if she disconnected, it would blow up or something would happen, and which is why it took two minutes for her to unclip the one wire. Uh-huh. And I was like expecting her to like drop it and grab it or do something. The first time I saw it, even this time, I was like, wait, what happens here? Is she gonna, does she have to grab it? What does what? I just expected more. Like, yeah, and the just rabbit's pops. foot is like a, a red thing inside of a vial. It's literally just like a water balloon. <laughs> what? Wait, what? Anyway, she gets it. She pulls it out. She wraps it up. She gets shot at by guards. Right. She she figures out there's a gas line running throughout the whole entire lab. Does the wonderful thing of hiding around the corner and then running goes, hey guys, and they shoot and it blows up and she mm-hmm. runs out of it. She escapes. Yep. And this is where the like most jarring music, no man's woman. Oh well. Like yeah. it was, it was like yeah, nineties C- or CW music over this action scene that was still going. I was like, this doesn't quite connect. Well, it was like Captain Marvel where it's like, I'm just a girl. She's punching people. That that worked. This did Uh, not. I think it's sophisticated by Stereo MC. But I think that's what they were going for. Anyway, so she gets away. Back at Credit Delphine, Sloan gets a call, says, all right, send her in. And Sydney comes in with the device, presents it to Sloan. I'm back. I'm taking the week off. I've got midterms. And then does the classic spy thing of, all right, I'm in a crowd. I'm going to disappear as something goes in front of me. Yeah, I'll never get sick of that. It's great. 
Oh, I love it. I love it. And then we see her go into a building. Says she needs to speak to the director, Mr. Devlin. And they're like, no, he's not available. Is that? Tell him he has a walk-in. And then we zoom out, and of course we see the giant CIA seal on the floor. It's been a long time since we've seen that seal in one of our things. That's actually true. You know, that's a fair point. But it's always there. It's a good reveal, though. Yeah, it is. It is a good reveal. We meet Vaughn. Uh, Agent Vaughn, who's bringing in food for Sydney, and hey, guess who else is in there? Greg Grunberg. Yeah, I was gonna say it if you didn't. He looks a lot younger here too. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess they all do, except for Jennifer Garner. But yeah. So Sydney is making a full write-up. She's writing pages and pages, and she's like, "You need anything? No, another pen. This one's dead." He says it could take weeks to verify her info. He says, "But you know, we could use another inside person in SD six." And like immediately, Sydney is like, "All right, one either I'm already been verified, and that's why you're telling me about this dollar double SD six, or two, uh, you think I'm not actually, you know, a double agent, and so if I'm a triple, I can you're gonna send me back to my agency thinking that there's another double agent there that I can report on." And he's like, "Nope, I just have a good feeling about you. I've got you know, a good instinct about you." Yeah, right. I also immediately noticed that he said another double. Oh, yeah, I saw. You guys did as well. Mm-hmm. He says, you need any help with your teeth? And she says she's all right. What? <laughs> she's got her own dentist, apparently. She's like a dentist is ready to put all of her teeth back. Huh. I'm sure SD6 has a great dental plan. Yeah, right? <laughs> I did not Google how exactly putting teeth in and out. I mean, you get an implant. You wouldn't have be an implant. If you do it in a very specific sh- time frame, I believe you can shove it back in. It might not be the same. So, like when kids lose teeth early, they're told to like put the tooth back in if you still have it. Uh-huh. Otherwise, the jaw will form incorrectly. So, uh-huh. like if it gets knocked out, just shove it back it's in if you can. Huh. I don't want to be talking about this. I just <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was funny. That she was like, "I got it." Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, she'll wear braces. They'll be fine. Yeah. She goes to visit Daniel's grave, and as she's laying flowers there, her father is behind her. He walks up, says he's very sorry about Daniel. She says, no, I want to be al- left alone. Nothing changes between you and I now that I know the truth about us. He reveals that he asked Devlin if he could be the one to tell her himself, which means that he's actually CIA, and they verified her statement. And he also said he appreciated her not naming him in all of her write-ups. Which implies her answer to... Oh, that's why you brought that up. Goes back. Ah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, also, this scene has so much acoustic guitar. <laughs> well, of course. You know, all right, how am I supposed to trust you? Well, we're just going to have to learn to trust each other. And give, he gives her a phone, which rings, and she answers. And that's what the end of our episode. All right, so now it's time for our Spy Facts versus Fiction. Now, I admit this is not the greatest source. Top 10s with a Z dot that by Heather Matthews. What does the CIA look for in a recruit? And the uh, reason why I found this is because they said she fit the profile. Okay. I was like, well, what is the profile? I couldn't find a profile, but I did find this. All right. What it said was 20% of new hires are from the mid-career category, if you guys are thinking about making a career change. Hmm. 
An undergraduate degree is not required, but I strongly recommend it. And Hiver is good too. They want the best in terms of academics. That's why they're found recruiting in America's most elite colleges. But they're not particular about what subject. Just do well in whatever subject you choose. Interesting. It says they like hiring people who have traveled or lived in foreign nations for long periods of time because they're candidates who can immerse themselves in foreign cultures and pick up the nuances of cultural differences. Recruiters want candidates who have been drug-free for at least a year. In the past, they had to be drug-free for longer, but the rules have been relaxed. Hmm. I thought it would be longer than that. I thought it would be like drug-free your whole life. So initially, it was way longer, and then they truncated it to 10 years because of the equip, and then they truncated it to seven years. And now, because they can't find anyone who hasn't, (laughs) they have basically been like a year or-ish. So, yeah, because of today's, they can't find candidates anymore who haven't partaken in anything. Yeah, there's also yeah. been a few news articles about, like, cybersecurity jobs, how everyone smokes weeds, they can't find yeah. people. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> this is why private sector gets all the people, because they're like, I'm never passing this fucking test, and I'm never passing the poly. <laughs> okay, so, so that's one. The other one I have is main news that's main like the state. Okay. Main news online. What do CIA agents tell their family? Everything you should know. Interesting. All right. So it says they can tell their spouse or loved ones. It doesn't specify which loved ones. I, okay. Maybe that means like immediate family. That they work for the CIA. But further increase into their job details are prohibited. They're not allowed to divulge what they did at work. Well, that makes sense. Job titles can be shared. For some lines of the work, you could say your geographical area, but not the exact area that you work in. Mm, all right. They can marry, according to the article, and have a married life will continue to do their job. The same rules that family members do apply for them. They're not allowed to disclose details of the job to their spouses. Now, here's the interesting part. All same right. source. If a CIA agent becomes involved with a foreign resident uh-huh. during their work abroad, that individual must pass both a background and polygraph test before even telling that they work for the CIA. How do you facilitate that? The article is not so clear. It's the same thing when you go for security clearances. One of the questions is, have you had relationships with foreign foreign internationals and blah, 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 which then requires them to be brought in for a background, which would entail an investigation of some sort into their background before you can fully commit to that whole rigmarole. But yeah, I mean, if you're going for certain clearances, it does require you to be like, to answer properly of, have you engaged in their foreign nationals? Uh, have Has any foreign national paid for anything on Right. I mean, even the citizen's test, to, to become a citizen, that's one of the major questions. Yeah, so the fact that Danny has a British accent leads me to think that he's not a U.S. citizen, which uh... maybe that's an assumption. He could be a dual citizen or whatever, but that would be even more next level why she shouldn't have told him without clearing it. <laughs> and that, that's all for me. Like you, I was also curious about that. So I have a different source for that. Um, I have an article by James Powell, who is a former CIA intelligence officer. Who uh, He wrote this article for SOFREP, um, military-grade content. And it's top okay. t- 10 things that everyone gets wrong about the CIA regarding spouses. Um, he says that if you are married or have a long-term domestic partner, the agency requires that you tell your other half from day one. Oh. Yeah. 
Along with that, there are other reasons why you would be able to, why you would be required to, or otherwise able to divulge your affiliation with the CIA. Not everyone at the agency is undercover, covert as he was. Some are overt and and can and do listed on applications, resumes, etc. What does he mean by day one? Like the first date? Or seemingly, if you are already with them and you're applying. If you're in a relationship. Yeah. Well, you DTR. That's what you have to tell them. I sure. was also interested about their recruitment processes. So I actually went to the CIA's website on their hiring process. So uh-huh. nowadays, rather than the old days of you know what I've heard about in red, where you you know they recruit from on you know college campuses and everything, you apply online. I think it's actually on USA Jobs, uh-huh. as is like the application to become an astronaut, which I found hilarious that there's both on USA Jobs. There's screening, testing, and interviews. If you pass that, you get a conditional offer of employment and SF-86 form. And then after that, you get your security and medical evaluations. Uh, After that, you get your official job offer and onboarding. And that's when you can get to uh, actually work there. So that's a whole process, which is a lot less cloak and dagger than it used to be, which I find a little let down, but also a little kind of funny. It's the initial portal versus... Mm -hmm. So there are other factors that go into the whole process. It's just strictly, I mean, the CIA hosts job fairs. Oh yeah, no, I've like at AwesomeCon. Yeah, oh yeah, or, or they're at AwesomeCon. Yeah, no, that's true. All right, so what else I have about? Uh, I have from Wikipedia about Heratic and Demotic, which are the scripts that okay Sydney thinks it's the notes are written in Heratic at first, but the, then Sloan corrects her. It's actually Demotic or Demotic. 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 It's, like demotic. it's 100% demonic because it's yeah. heretic versus demonic. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a very rare classical language. It's the name that's given to a cursive writing system that's used for ancient Egyptian. And it's the principal heretic that's used to write that language from its development in the third century, uh, third millennium BC until the rise of demotic in the mid first century BC. And Demotic was used, yeah, in in the Nile Delta, and yeah, following that, and I looked at it, and it's interesting to look at for me because I, you know, studied as a hobby. I studied a bit of like hieroglyphics, and you can see the evolution from the hieroglyphics to the hieratic. I was like, oh, I I can actually recognize the shapes here, and then when you go to demotic, it becomes a bit more abs- like you know, oh wait, that's where that shape comes from. Not not as clear, but it is interesting to see that. Yeah, the progression is unique yeah and lastly walk-in agents so this is also from wikipedia a walk-in agent is an individual who voluntarily offers to conduct espionage specifically a walk-in agent is an agent or mole of a government who literally walks into an embassy or intelligence agency without prior contact or recruitment i feel like we've had those in other episodes but nothing is coming to mind we might have talked about it back in way early in uh What's the Robert Hansen movie? Breach. Breach, yeah. Maybe. They called out that he was that he, he was, was a walk-in. Yeah. He was a walk-in. No, what was the one where it was a Soviet guy and he went up to two American like tourists and was oh. like, Hey, can you put me in touch with the your courier? Embassy? The courier. Okay, excuse me. Yeah. I guess he might have been a well, yeah. Well no, because he that's not technically a walk-in because he like sent them information saying, Hey, um, this is me. Like Walkins literally, they walk yeah. into the embassy saying, "Hey, yeah. I have information." All right. Well, it was the closest I could think of. Yeah. 
He engages outside. Anyway, so yeah, that's what I have for spy fact versus spy fiction. All right, so should we move on to our favorite quotes? Uh, yes, Jay, as our guest, would you like to go first? No, I would like to hear your quotes first. All right. Okay, can I go first, Christian? Sure, sure. I only had a few. I had, hey, guys, just because I thought it was so lame. <laughs> <laughs> anything better, you guys, professional Hollywood screenwriters. Similarly, when she says to her interrogator, I am your worst enemy, that just sucked. It's my favorite because it was so bad. But what okay. I actually really did like was she says to Sloan, you killed him. And he says, no, you did. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche that I like. Whatever. When they're talking about Sydney's dad and they say, unless you're talking about importing airline parts, that man's got nothing to say. Which reminded me of Ethan Hunt's job, like boring job of being the traffic analyst and like, Oh, so they're, I was like, once they said that and they're trying to like set up, oh, that he's boring. He's like, no, he's definitely a spy, isn't he? Yeah, obvious red herring. Yeah. I did like the E-M-E-T-I-B, now reverse it. So classy. Uh, I've got when she says, I have nothing to lose. And the security guard says, that's not exactly true. You have teeth. Also fantastic. Good comeback, security guard. When Sydney is, you know, returned, she's like, I'm back. I'm taking the week off. I've got midterms. Yeah, it's like, was that a joke or not? It's, it's hard to say. Well, it was her excuse to be not, to be unmonitored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously my quote is going to be, Daddy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I wanted to be last. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it was 100% Daddy. But like, yeah, because who's going to ever surpass because this is 2001 before daddy's a thing was it though <laughs> well compared uh, to today's world yeah <laughs> you never ruined everybody's life God. <laughs> <laughs> no the other thing is oh. when uh bradley cooper's like do you want to get a couple extra laps in i want to get um i'm gonna go get a couple extra laps and she's just like you just put your shirt on <laughs> it's very awkward <laughs> All right, so now it is time for our ratings on a scale of 1 to 10 martinis, 1 being Avengers 1997, and 10 being even better than the pilot of Burn Notice. How would we rate, truth be told, the pilot of Alias? Jay, you are a guest. Would you like to go first? That title keeps throwing me off when you say it. Sorry, Jay. Go ahead. I'm going to give it three bourbons into a drunk call admitting that your future wife is a spy <laughs> and getting yourself killed yeah no it's gonna be seven it's gonna be seven okay well okay. three bourbons which is really a seven in quality or eight uh, in quality I'd say. I see. okay all right all right seven okay zach like chuck i came in with no expectations at all i knew nothing right. about the show and i'm trying to think what makes it jump out from the rest of the pack so the reveal that she's working for the bad guys who killed her fiance that that was cool but i didn't connect that much to sydney as a character i didn't i couldn't really tell what was going on behind the hood so to speak so like it wasn't bad it, it just didn't grab me so much i i would not come back for the rest of the series so i'm going to give it a five and a half out of ten all right interesting interesting i think yeah i've seen most of the first season but i don't remember a lot of it 
I do remember enjoying it. But watching this episode, it did actually make me want to go and at least watch maybe the first, you know, those first two seasons that Tom Cruise watched that made him say, hey, I want to give this guy a movie so he can basically do this on a big screen, on a bigger budget. And with that, I like I enjoyed, I knew the twist already. I knew, yeah, that she worked for SD6. Mm-hmm. And that SD6 was actually not, you know, CIA. I had a feeling about the dead boyfriend. So I don't know if there was necessarily any surprises, but it was still a fun ride that I enjoyed. I'm just going to give this a 7.5 out of 10. All right. So before we end, can I ask, Zach, you keep mentioning Chuck. Right, because that was the episode we did before this one. Okay, because this is six years before Chuck. Right. So the reason why I give it like an eight is because it opened the doors to a lot of those other shows. It gives opened the doors to Pam Nikita. It gives the doors to Chuck. It gave all these extra... Like, it was definitely different than a lot of other shows. Wait, so you're giving it an eight or a seven? I'm going to give it an eight. All right, right. bumping up that. All right. <laughs> Can we hear a nine? Can we hear a nine? <laughs> You're an eight and a half. I would not argue if someone said a nine. Yeah. Okay. It's certainly, I'm sure it's certainly a very influential show. It also reminded me a little bit of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in a lot of the ways. You had your ass-kicking female lead. We've seen spies get tied to t- chairs and tortured. We've seen spies shoot people. Seen them infiltrated. It's kind of like a, most of it was been there, done that. The stuff that was new was quite good, but there just wasn't enough of it. That's a question for you, Zach, because I've started, I've noticed, well, I I remember in the beginning, you were always harsher on things, and I was always more positive. And then you, like, sort of mellowed out, and you got more positive. And now you're back to being a lot more harsh on things. Have you watched too much spy stuff that now everything just seems the same, and you don't think anything stands out? It's entirely possible. Not just that. Do you just merge everything being produced at the exact same time? Well, it is true that we've been looking at a lot of stuff around the same time period, 1999 through 2008, right? The, this rerun summer has covered a lot of that. This is true. It's like, it wasn't intentional we were going to cover all We were just, I just, you know, picked a bunch of spy shows. But now looking forward to what we have coming up, other than, yeah, other than, uh, what was it, Gentleman Jack? What was it called? Is that? Jack of all uh, trades, Yeah. Which, which I picked, not to not to claim credit or whatever, but... <laughs> and James Bond Jr. Yeah, everything has been in that sort of, like, yeah, mid-2000s, or early to mid-2000s period. I mean, this is when the height of, like, that whole interest was. Oh, yeah. It was this oh, yeah. eye craze going on at the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Matched only probably by the of the 60s, which is what we covered last summer. That's right. Okay, uh, Jay, do you have anything you would like to plug before we are on our way? Uh, we have Tuesday Night Gaming. Come listen to Zach, myself, and others uh, talk about various TV shows, current TV shows. Well, not yeah. right now, current. <laughs> They're current-esque TV yeah. shows and are recently released. Let's while say. we play video games and have a good time, sometimes yell at each other. And that's on uh, twitch.tv slash mcslanting on Tuesdays if you want to listen to it live. Or you can listen to it on Tuesday Night Podcasts on all the various things that you do. You're also the co-creator of Feature Nerd, right? Feature Nerd <laughs> with the webcam comic uh, Panoramic Enlightenment, as well as Tales of the Dice, which also entails uh, the story, is a comic detailing the story of uh, the D&D campaign that Zach is part of. 
And while I don't know much about that campaign, I am always entertained by that comic. Nice. Well, thank you for joining us, Jay. You're welcome back anytime. And thank you all to our audience for joining us. You can find us on social media at the Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the Spy Fi Guys signing off. Thank you for listening to the Spy Fi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.